0: Just go to indeed.com slash science right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This episode is brought to you by Citizen M. Too much tech talk? Not enough pillow talk? Recharge at Citizen M Hotels. Sit beer at Canteen M Bar, Restaurant and Terrace. Chit-chat with the hotel team. The friendliest people you'll ever meet. And count Zs in one super soft bed. Recharge again and again in tech cities like Menlo Park, Austin, Miami, New York, and San Francisco. Book now at citizenm.com slash sciencevs.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details.
1: Hi, I'm Wendy Zuckerman, and you're listening to Science Versus from Gimlet. Today on the show, is this coronavirus airborne? This is a question on a lot of people's minds right now, as we're wondering, could we get infected from the air? Like when we go outside and no one's around. Is it safe just to go for a walk? Our producer, Rose Rimler, tried to figure this one out, and her research took her down this really surprising path, back in time all the way up to today. Rose takes it from here. Back
3: when we were first learning about this coronavirus, one of the things I found the most reassuring was what we were being told about how it spreads. Experts were saying that it passes through droplets, the stuff that sprays out of our nose and mouth when we cough or sneeze. And I was like, great, that's fairly easy to avoid, right? I mean, when is the last time someone actually coughed in your face? But then I read these papers coming out showing that something else is going on too this coronavirus is trickier than we first thought. And the idea that this coronavirus could be airborne really freaked me out. Because when a virus is airborne, something about that just feels scary. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of airborne diseases is actually an episode of The Simpsons. It's an old Halloween episode. And there's a scene where a fog that turns people inside out sneaks in through The Simpsons' window. It looks like a green cloud and it makes an evil, hissing sort of noise. Then the whole family screams and turns inside out. So that's what I think of when I think of airborne disease. A toxic cloud traveling from house to house, and there's no escape.
4: So when you say something might be airborne or inhaled, that raises the specter of these vicious microorganisms traveling through the air around the globe from office to office from building to building it's a very threatening feeling
3: this is rachel jones associate professor at the university of utah she told me this question about whether this virus or any virus is airborne is actually controversial which surprised me to understand why it's controversial you have to understand the history we have to go back about a hundred years
4: People were starting to have real problems, especially among um, military hospitals with these infections that were occurring, and people were trying to figure out how these diseases were being transmitted.
3: Back then, scientists didn't know how viruses and bacteria spread from person to person, although they had some hunches. When sick people cough and sneeze, they thought, maybe there's something in the stuff that comes out of their noses and mouths. But how could they prove it? One way was to put petri dishes in a room with people coughing and sneezing.
4: It's basically, you're putting out a little bowl, and you're going to just see what lands in it. I mean, that's that's not a terrible idea, really. No, it's absolutely not a terrible idea.
3: And what they thought might happen did. Bacteria started to grow on the dishes, so they knew their hunch was right. Germs could come out, travel through the air, and then land on the counter or the petri dish or the floor. They started calling the big gunk that came out of people's mouths when they cough or sneeze, droplets.
4: And this is the origination of the idea of droplet transmission. These large droplets that they can see those particles visibly when somebody is coughing, and that you can actually feel land on your face.
3: Gross. Voila, getting sick from droplets was officially discovered. But scientists realized this couldn't be the only way sicknesses were spreading. They knew some diseases were really sneaky, because sometimes people were getting sick when they were nowhere near an infected person. Take smallpox, for example.
4: have you know, a classic case where uh, smallpox was transmitted through a building to another floor, and a, and a patient became infected on the third floor, having never contacted the person on the first floor.
3: Something else was obviously going on here. But what? Enter a Harvard professor named William Firth Wells. He was a veteran of World War I, he had a mustache, and he puffed constantly on a pipe. William wanted to prove that diseases were traveling through the air, so he designed a fluffier kind of experiment. He and his team moved a colony of guinea pigs into the tuberculosis ward of a hospital in Baltimore. The patients didn't get to play with the guinea pigs— The guinea pigs were put far away from the patients, in the air ducts, so they couldn't get coughed on. But they were breathing the same air as the patients with tuberculosis. William maintained this colony—actually, his female assistant maintained the colony—for years. And over that time, 100 guinea pigs got infected with TB from the patients in the hospital. And eventually, so did the female assistant. Anyway. Anyway.
4: And that gives rise to the concept of airborne transmission.
3: The thinking goes like this. For airborne diseases, you are breathing out teeny bits of liquid that have viruses or bacteria in them. This stuff can survive in the air after you breathe it out, even after the liquid evaporates. And these dried up germs might get carried far away, you know, compared to those droplets that are heavier, so they fall to the ground faster. And so for a long time, that was how we thought about these diseases, airborne or droplet. Two separate things. On team airborne, there's TB and measles. On team droplet, there's the flu, whooping cough. Correct. Yeah. But now things are changing. We're finding out that these categories are a lot muddier than we thought. And it's not because people like William Wells were dummies. It's because we have way better technology. We don't have to rely on petri dishes or sick guinea pigs anymore. Now we have the tools to actually pull stuff out of the air, particles that are called aerosols.
4: Now that we have a lot more sophisticated aerosol techniques, we can measure particles uh, that are very, very small and particles that are large.
3: Now we see that for some diseases that we thought were droplet diseases, you can find little particles hanging out in the air too. Take the flu. Researchers have had people with the flu talk into a cone and then they collect the air that comes out of their mouths. In that air, their breaths, they found little bits of flu virus. And other studies have found that these viruses can actually move across a room and potentially infect someone. So much for the flu being a droplet disease. What this means is that for at least some diseases, you can get sick via droplets or from the air.
4: We now have data to demonstrate that droplet and airborne can actually occur simultaneously when a person is standing close to the sick person who's who's releasing virus into the air
3: and then science wise like it's 2020 is this like where we're kind of hung up on this it's droplet and not airborne it's airborne and not droplet what does the science tell us today about that distinction
4: I think that the science tells us today that that distinction is not particularly helpful.
3: So basically, there isn't an obvious line that separates airborne and droplet. But some viruses seem to do better in the air than others, like smallpox and measles. So what does this mean for this coronavirus? We we told our audience, like, well, this is primarily spread by droplets, which was a little bit of a reassuring message. So did we get it wrong? Well, I think... (laughs)
4: Hmm. I think it's incomplete.
1: (laughs) The complete story, coming up just after the break.
0: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsor job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com science. Just go to Indeed.com science right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This episode is brought to you by Citizen M. Too much tech talk? Not enough pillow talk? Recharge at Citizen M Hotels. Sip beer at Canteen M Bar, Restaurant and Terrace. Chit-chat with the hotel team. The friendliest people you'll ever meet. And count Zs in one super soft bed. Recharge again and again in tech cities like Menlo Park, Austin, Miami, New York, and San Francisco. Book now at citizenm.com slash sciencevs.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
1: Welcome back. We've just found out that despite the Simpsons and Hollywood blockbusters screeching, it's gone airborne, the distinction between a virus that is airborne and one that isn't is muddier than it might seem. And there are diseases that we don't normally think of as airborne, which can actually travel a little in the air. So what does this all mean for the coronavirus now? To find out, we called up Zhu Ning from the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology.
5: Hi, Wendy there.
1: Hello. <laughs> Over a month ago, as this virus was taking hold in Wuhan, Dr. Ning was watching and wondering.
5: We, we had a good big question in, in our mind. is how this virus can transmit in the air, how far it can spread, and how much uh, harm it can cause to the human being. We want to know more.
1: So he got in touch with some colleagues in Wuhan and they decided to start testing the air in a bunch of places around the city. And to sample the air, they don't just wave a glass jar around and quickly screw the lid on. They use a machine that's a bit like a fancy vacuum cleaner.
5: In a way, we have this active pump. We can suck the air through a filter.
1: That filter is specifically designed so that it catches genetic pieces of the virus. And then, back at the lab, the team will see if they've nabbed this coronavirus. Now, Dr Ning's test can only measure the genetic material of the virus. Using this method, we can't actually be sure that any of the virus that he might find would still be alive. But based on other similar tests done by different scientists, we think that at least some of them would be. So, knowing all that one of the first places that these scientists looked were spots that they figured were bound to have a lot of virus. Hospitals. Where patient after patient with coronavirus had
5: come through. You, can, you could imagine how dangerous those places could be.
1: The researchers put on big quarantine suits and tested all around the hospital, even going into the health workers' changing rooms.
5: And they went into the room and hold the samplers in the air
1: So what did they find? Well, when they looked at the hospital air, in some rooms where there were coronavirus patients, they couldn't detect any viral bits.
5: But in a few hotspots, locations, we did see some of the viruses.
1: One of those hotspots was perhaps not where you might expect. It was the bathroom. You see, one of the hospitals had had these makeshift toilets.
5: Yes, indeed, indeed. The uh, toilet is a very simple mobile uh, toilet and without ventilation.
1: And it turned out the air had a bunch of viral particles in it. So Dr Ning couldn't help but wonder.
5: But where do this virus come from?
1: He figures there are two main explanations. The first is the obvious one, the breath of the patients. As they pooed and weed, they also might have breathed out viral particles into the air. And since the toilet was poorly ventilated, the particles just hung around in there. But there's a second explanation too. One that's a little more intimate. Because some studies have found that viral bits can be found in
5: faeces. This faeces may find its way during the, uh, the use of toilet time. And is it probably re the uh, into the air.
1: Oh, so when people flush the toilet and then it goes and it possibly puts viral particles in the air.
5: Yes, indeed, Uh, because the the, the flushing of the toilet or even general, the movement of the the water, actually that can stir up the uh, water, liquid, and uh, aerosolize the liquid droplets.
1: So close the lid is one of the messages of your study.
5: Indeed, indeed. Let's do that.
1: And viral particles weren't just found in the air of the dunny. Another hotspot that showed up in the hospital was the room where the healthcare workers took off their protective gear. And the air in that room was actually pretty contaminated, which was particularly interesting to Dr. Ning. Because the thing was, all these hospital workers had been tested and they didn't have coronavirus. And they were the only people that went into that room. No patients. The patients
5: cannot get in. The public cannot get in.
1: This suggests the viral particles might have gotten into the air like this. As the workers came into contact with patients, they also came into contact with this virus from patients coughing and sneezing or breathing or what have you. The virus then would have landed on the hospital workers' gear. And then perhaps when the workers took it off, the viral bits flung into the air.
5: So your movement of the arms when you take off the protective vaporous, they can find a way to become airborne.
1: And it seems that this virus can stick around in the air. In a separate study, scientists who spritzed this coronavirus into the air in a lab found that some of it was still there three hours later. So that's the hospitals. What about other places? Places we all go to. Well, Dr. Ning's team also sampled the air at a supermarket, around a university and a residential building. And they didn't find coronavirus in the air. But it wasn't all good news. Dr. Ning did find something concerning. Viral bits were hanging out inside a department store entrance, where he
5: reckons dozens of people were walking in and out. Oftentimes, there are patients who don't know they got infected. And uh, when well, this is the case, when they walk around... And as they talk, it potentially can infect other people, but they don't know. That's that's a very dangerous side of this coronavirus.
1: So of course, our next question is, if I was walking through that department store entrance at the time, would I have gotten sick?
5: Uh, I think there is a few steps in the middle uh, to jump into the conclusion.
1: You see, once the virus gets into the air, there's a few more hurdles it has to clear before it infects me. So first, I'd have to breathe it in. And because we think this virus has to get into my body to gain a foothold, if I walk through that cloud of coronavirus and, say, virus lands on my shirt or my skin, I'd probably be okay. But say it does get into my mouth. The next hurdle? I'd have to breathe in enough viral bits to make me sick. Now, we don't know the cutoff for this virus, like how many viral particles I'd need to get in me to make me sick. But it is possible that maybe I wouldn't have breathed in enough. Okay, so what are we to make of Dr. Ning's study? Well, yes, this virus, it can be found in the air. But it's not everywhere. And other research is finding this too. Like a few small studies looking at rooms where coronavirus patients are being isolated. Well, they only detected viral bits in the air of some of the rooms they tested. And the uncontaminated rooms tended to be well ventilated. So it's looking like we have to be particularly careful in poorly ventilated places and places that have been visited by lots of people. Oh, and close the lid of the toilet. But... There's still so much we don't know here. Like, we did find this one study that kind of threw a wrench in the works. It got a handful of patients to breathe and talk near an air sampler only four inches away from their mouth. And then they didn't pick up any
5: of the virus from them.
1: Is, is there re- Do your findings give us reason to panic?
5: We don't have to panic saying we cannot even breathe air anymore. I think we should be more cautious uh, because we know more. I should use the word the cautious, cautious, cautious.
1: Even with everything we're learning about this virus in the air, scientists still think a lot of the time it's spread by those classic old droplets, sneezing, coughing, that kind of thing. Or in a way that we haven't even talked about yet, through touching something that's been contaminated. And it's that part that raises a ton of questions for people about how they can protect themselves. Like, what are you supposed to do about your packages or your groceries or your bed or your kitchen counter or your dog? We're hearing that this virus could be everywhere, like some evil glitter. So is that true? And how cautious do you really have to be? Well, that's coming up next Monday. But before we say, tura let's change gears and time for a bit of NCVC, non-coronavirus content. Time for
4: some non-coronavirus content. NCVC for short. Sure.
1: I want to tell you about dolphins. Yes. Researchers have found very recently that male bottlenose dolphins near Western Australia sing together, boy band style, where they're trying to pick up a female Scientists already knew that these guys sync up their body movements to attract a mate. But now they've caught dolphins singing together too. And these animals are in sync at 600 beats a minute. The researchers sent us the dolphin sounds that they recorded. Here is one dolphin singing alone. And here are the dolphins singing together. Hear it? And, unlike boy bands, these dolphins, sometimes they stay together for decades. That's Science Versus.
2: Hello?
1: Hey, Rose Rimler.
4: No. Oh, I
3: know what this is. I was like, oh, God, something must be really wrong. Oh, wait, Citations!
1: Citations! Um, how many citations in this week's episode? Rose River, producer at Science Versus. Uh,
3: uh, Wendy Zuckerman, host of Science Versus. Today we've got 76 citations.
1: 76. And if people want to see these citations, where should they go?
3: They can click on the link to our transcript, which is in the show notes or on our website. Thanks, Rose. Thanks, Wendy.
1: This episode was produced by Rose Rimler, me, Wendy Zuckerman, Michelle Dang, Meryl Horn, Sindhuja Srinivasan, Laura Morris, and Meg Driscoll. We're edited by Blythe Terrell and Caitlin Kenny. Fact-checking by Michelle Harris, mix and sound design by Peter Leonard, music written by Peter Leonard, Emma Munger, and Bobby Lord. A big thanks to all the researchers we got in touch with for this episode, including Professor Natasha Crowcroft, Professor Lindsay Marr, Dr. Stephanie King, and Noah Miller. And a special thanks to the Zuckerman family and Joseph LaBelle Wilson. I'm Wendy Zuckerman. I'll fact you next time.